morning. Good morning, everyone. So if you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Or look up on the screen. <laughs> so we're reading from chapter 4, verse 1. And I'll just pray before we read the Bible. Dear God, we thank you that uh, we have this opportunity to come before you and uh, read your word. We thank you that uh, Glenn can unpack this word and explain it to us and that we can um, take something from it. I pray that you will help us to learn and to grow through this reading and I pray your blessing on this service. Amen. So from verse 1, titled Unity in the Body of Christ. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to work, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, He ascended... What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Of Christ. That's it. If you've been uh, in and our church over the last few weeks, you will have uh, realised that we've been doing a little um, mini-series on this idea of uh, Jesus is Lord. And what does it mean uh, when we say that or when we claim that or we believe that, that Jesus is Lord? And uh, we've been exploring that uh, together. Um, we uh, heard early on that um, if we to say that and we believe that, then uh, Jesus is someone who is worth dying for. We wrestled with what does it look like for me to die for Christ? to put him first uh, above myself. And as we continue to look at everything that we do through this idea of the lordship, or sometimes we can use the word kingship of Christ, uh, we've both been uh, confronted by that and uh, comforted by that. That, uh, as C.S. Lewis uh, exp uh, shows in the book, books in uh, the Narnia series, this idea that uh, Jesus or God is good, but he's not necessarily safe. That a Lord, the one who has authority over, uh, has the power and authority to challenge. The power and authority to command that you live a certain way. That if you proclaim that Jesus is Lord, he requires you to live according to his ways. 
and that's confronting. <laughs> but we've also seen that as Jesus shows and demonstrates his lordship, uh, that he shows that as one who serves. And uh, I think I've said this a number of times uh, here, that um, if we think about a perfect king or a perfect lord, that they desire what is best for their people. They want to see their people flourish. They want to see their people be all that they desire or the, all that they can be and all that God desires them to be. And so, as we sit under this teaching and as we sit under this phrase of Jesus is Lord, as we think about what that means, it confronts the old self in us, doesn't it? It confronts us because ultimately we want to be Lord. And Andrew showed us that, didn't he, when he preached a few weeks ago. We want to be on the throne. We want to decide what we do. We want to make the choices about how we live our lives. We want to decide where we go and who we go with and what we do. And uh, he confronted us and I thought it was a, it's a line that stuck in my head that uh, the consumeristic, uh, individualistic culture that we live in, uh, the materialistic culture that we live in, only feeds that. And it actually feeds this idea that you are Lord, you are the most important person in the world. And, God, and Jesus comes in, well, when you say that I am Lord, <laughs> I take the throne of your heart. And as I've just said, that's both confronting and freeing. Because we know that through Jesus, through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that our sins were put on him so that we are made right with God so that we can live in the fullness of life with him. That empowers us to live like him. And remember, as Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, you will receive my spirit. And my spirit is the one, as he sent his disciples out, he said, uh, all authority has been given to me. <laughs> and through the spirit, he now gives that to us. All power is given to us so that we can actually live this out. We can actually do what Jesus has called us to do as we battle uh, in this life together. We've seen, uh, we talked about last week, that when we say that Jesus is Lord, that uh, challenges us with who we hang out with and why. And I wonder whether you've thought about that this week. That you've, uh, it may have changed the way you've interacted with people. People that God has put in your path this week. That when we say Jesus is Lord, it makes us view people differently. And that when we are part of a church, when we say Jesus is Lord, that begins to change the way we view church. And what this group of people gathered here today is and how we uh, interact with it. That just as we commit to Jesus as Lord, we commit to one another as friends, as people united th through His Spirit, as people who are made one under His Lordship. And so uh, today, as we explore that a little bit, what does it mean for us to be partners in this church? What does it mean for us to be part of this group of people that says Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour. And I want to uh, use that, uh, explore that idea um, with what Rob was suggesting here a little bit, that um, through the Anzac uh, idea, that um, 
I thought it's a great title there, that, that we are mates to the end. And this, this week as I've been preparing for Anzac Day, and no doubt many of you, uh, you've been preparing for Anzac Day and you've been uh, getting stuff that's been coming on Facebook or blogs or whatever, you've been reading in the papers and stuff like that. Um, there's all these stories coming out and, and, and the common theme that just kept resonating with me as I kept interacting with these is, was this theme of mateship. And, and every, each of these guys and, and uh, girls who were telling about their wartime experiences would talk about their mates that were there with them, who were supporting them, who were carrying them, who were uh, there for them, who were... Um, and, and they even used, like, spiritual language in, exp- in, in, in describing that. They were saying, you know, these people would give... They would sacrifice themselves for us, that they served me, that they were willing to die for me, that there was courage, commitment, trust. And that even went to, a, I, I read uh, a couple of stuff about uh, prisoners of war, that were in prisoners of war camps. And it almost went to another level when these people were in the prisoner of war camp and they were in this scenario that was born out over years and years and years. And there was one quote that just stuck in my head from a prisoner of war that said, if you did not have a mate, you had nothing. If you did not have a mate, you had nothing in this place. That you couldn't do it alone. You couldn't get through this uh, scenario alone. And it's interesting in this passage, I don't know if you picked it up when Luke was reading it, that Paul introduces himself as a prisoner for the Lord. And he actually, that's what he was. He was actually literally in prison because... He was declaring that Jesus was Lord. And from that place of imprisonment, he writes this letter, and it's a letter to his mates. It's a letter to his friends, to the churches that have been set up uh, throughout uh, the known world at that time. And he writes this letter to encourage them, to build them up, to keep on fighting, to keep the unity of uh, this idea that Jesus is Lord and he is having an impact in this world and in our lives. And he says, he, he reminds them that you've been called to be part of this family, part of this unit, part of this flock, part of this body. And I want you to remember that you are in this together, that you are united through Christ. And, and particularly, did you notice how he wants them to interact with each other at the beginning in those first few verses? where he says, I want you to keep unity, I want you to be gentle, I want you to be humble, and I want you to bear with each other. As mates, I want you to carry the load together as you seek to work out what this means that we say Jesus is Lord, how we live it out, how we act it out, how we speak it out, day in, day out. And so as uh, this gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, that he is Lord, comes to that, comes to us it changes our priorities it's one of the things that it does it's been alluded to in some of the sermons it changes our priorities doesn't it and as uh, when we say that Jesus is Lord our priorities become God first others second and myself last think about that in the culture that we live today (laughs) think about that how have you lived that out this week 
in the culture that we live in where it says, me first, second, third, fourth, fifth, probably sixth as well, and then maybe others as long as they're helping out my needs, and maybe you can have a God as long as that God serves you and what you want. And that's the culture that we live in, and that's the culture that we're, we're um, uh, immersed in as we try and live out this idea that Jesus is Lord. We are absorbed in a me-first culture. What's best for me? It's the worldview that surrounds us. How do you think that sort of worldview, that sort of idea, would work in the army? If it was me first, me first, me first. How do you think it works in the church? if we have that sort of culture. If every time we think, what's in it for Glenn? What's he getting out of this? In the midst of our celebrity culture, and we've talked about this a bit over the past, isn't it? It's led to what I would say an epidemic of superficial, shallow, broad friendship that gets away from this true idea of mateship. that how many friends you've got and how famous they are is very good for you, not them. There was a little clip going around uh, some of the leadership this week, a Craig Grishel thing, and he was having a bit of a vent about how many people just keep coming to him in the church and say, I'm looking for a church that will meet my needs. Come and meet my needs, meet my needs, meet my needs. <laughs> and he was having an event. The church is not about you and your needs. It's about you and your mates and how you serve them and how you together are living Jesus as Lord. Because it's easy, isn't it? It's easy for us to sit here and think, oh, that's the culture out there. But because we're so immersed in it, it creeps into us here as God's people. It's not just them out there. It's me here. It's us here. Am I as deeply committed to you as I am myself? And I found myself, even this week as I examine my life, if I preach a good sermon, Glenn gets a bit of credibility on that. (laughs) Rather than it's actually about serving you and what God wants. If I have a good grow group or a good life group, Glenn gets a bit of the credit for that. So be mindful that this culture that we're living in, that we're immersed in, will continually attack this idea that Jesus is Lord and that we are united to him and that we are living for him and that, we, that he has changed our priorities to put himself first, others second and ourselves last. And as uh, Jesus explores this idea of mateship and this deeply committed sense of I will die for you, remember this. Jesus could pretty well only do it with about 12 people. He could do it really well. He had probably 12 close mates. And he invested most of his time and energy and effort with them. He had them. And as sort of the circles increased, remember last week the circles of influence, he spent less time 
um, and had probably less commitment to those. And I think this is something for us to think about in terms of mateship and how well we do it, particularly for our young people, particularly for our young people. That you're just growing up in this immersed culture that however many friends you've got <laughs> is better for you. Think about what it would be to have a mate that would die for you, that would give themselves for you, that you can trust explicitly. Uh, this week, as I was thinking about it, um, actually, I saw Karen here because I was... <laughs> Karen, a few good men, the movie, A Few Good Men. And uh, we would often talk about that in youth. And I, I thought of this, there's a clip in this movie, A Few Good Men. And I don't know if you remember it. Uh, these two, these guys have been um, are being held trial because uh, they did this practice of a code red, which was uh, they they disciplined a kid, a, a guy in their core, so that um, he would come back in line. And the line goes like this: They're saying, "Why did you do this code code red?" And he said, "Because he, we had to teach him to think of his unit before himself." because he had made a decision to think about himself before. So we had to teach him to think of his unit before himself. And he said we needed to teach him to obey the code. He needed to obey the code. And this is the code. Unit, corpse, God and country. And both the, the law, lawyers there are, what? Unit, core, God and country. Which apparently I've heard is a distortion of the Marine Corps thing. But as I was thinking about it this week, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking what is our code? What is our code as followers of Christ? What's that priority? Is it God, others? Well, I think to a certain extent, he give, Paul gives it to us in these verses. We've read it a couple of times here, that maybe our code goes something like this, that we are one body with one spirit, with one hope, with one Lord, with one faith, with one baptism, because there is one God who is Father of all and who is over all and through all and in all, and He is the one that we have our identities with. He is the one that came to this earth and called us friends. He is the one who knows the number of stars in the sky, he knows them by name, and yet we can call him dad. And that through him and through his spirit, we are united. We become a new people, a new identity, a people of God, the church, Christians, people who declare Jesus as Lord and now recognize each other as brothers and sisters, as friends, as mates who are to live for each other the way that our Lord lived for us. I was thinking about it. Where else is it expressed? Anyone watch the footy last night along Port Adelaide? Oh, I was getting fired up. My Paddy, my Patrick Danefield, they were just slamming him the whole time. I was saying, you can't do that. And there's something about that team spirit, isn't it? That, some, that, that, that we're bound together, that when something happens to someone else, I feel it. When people in my unit or in my church suffer, I suffer. When they weep, I weep. 
I was thinking about how am I living out that in our church. That, and when I, we declare that Jesus is Lord, that we have this unity together. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. And I, I've wrestled with that as a pastor here and I'm thinking about, as, yeah, that's my desire. My desire as a pastor in here is to see you be all that you can be, individually and collectively. I want to see this church be what God has gifted it to be. And I'm willing to give my time for it. I'm willing to give my life for it. And this is not big noting myself. This is, this is sort of a change of attitude that's happening in me. I'm willing to sacrifice for you guys. I'm willing to put this vision above for you over and above myself. And do I do it perfect? No. Because <laughs> I've still got the old self that battles me. And that's what Paul says. You've got to stand firm against that. You've got to get together with your unit to stand against the culture, against the old self, against the enemy that's seeking to bring disunity, to seek to bring you down as my people. And so when you say Jesus is Lord, as I know many of you do here, do you recognize that code of God, others, and self? And how are you serving one another so that we can be the community that God wants us to be? And I was thinking about it this week. I, if that's your code, and I know many of that, that is your code, I've experienced that. That in, the, in the, the previous number of weeks, I've called on people here and I said, pray for me, I need your help. I meet with my grow group, these guys, a couple of weeks ago, we met, and I was, I've told a few people, it was, it was just this God amongst us experience, three guys sitting around a table at 6.30 in the morning as we shared what God was doing amongst us, as we confessed our sins to each other and said where we haven't been living this, and we prayed for each other, and we thought about how we're living this out together. These guys together, my brothers as we seek to live out what it means to have Jesus as Lord. What about your grow group? What about your life group? Are you seeing them as your unit and your core that God has put you in? Willing to live as your Lord did for you, for them. And we recognize that it's what we said, and this is the battle and it's the the confrontation of the gospel and the good news of the gospel, isn't it? It confronts us, but then it gives us the good news that we are free, that we've been made new, that we've been given new power to live this out. So we confess and believe. We repent and believe as we continue this cycle of the gospel with one another. And we need this. We need the Spirit's power to do this, don't we? We need the Holy Spirit to do this because we know that we're from, as Rob said, we're from all walks of life. We are from different cultures. We're from different nationalities. We have different personalities. And yet we, we, we come under this oneness of Jesus is Lord. And so we need God to change our hearts for each other. So that we, as his people, can impact the world. 
And so in this passage, as Paul uh, unpacks it, he reminds the people that you've been given gifts, you've been given roles, you've been given responsibilities for one another to grow one another, to build one another up, to move each other to become more like Christ. And Paul keeps them focused on Jesus. He said, because that's where he keeps, Jesus is the head of this body. As you keep your eyes on him, as you know him, as you uh, read about him, as you spur each other on and how to live for him, he becomes evident through his people and through his body. And so we've been given work to do together as a church unit, as a church family, in your own family units. Are you thinking about how you're living out Jesus as Lord there? What does mateship look like in your family unit, whatever that might look, in your grow group, in your life group, in the ministry that God's called you to? How does Christ's mateship express itself in the way you practice stuff there? As you find new partners joining us here together. And as new, as new partners signing in here, thinking about how has God called me to serve in this place? Not for them to serve me. That's an added blessing. When we serve one another, everyone gets served, everyone gets blessed. So as you're growing disciples, are you thinking about what does it mean to give yourself to someone who doesn't yet know Jesus? Are you asking for your friends here to support you in praying as you interact with those who are lost, who don't know Jesus yet? Are you thinking about those people God has put in your path that need care and help? Are you asking for your mates here to give you support in that? Maybe that's financial resources or maybe that's uh, babysitting or meals or something like that to help you care for people. How are you doing that together? How are you reaching the world? How are you seeing the kingdom come in your workplace? How are you engaging with the, the poor and the needy? Where are the, the places in this world that God's calling you to? And how are you using your mates in here to help you discover that, to help you do that, to empower you to do that, to encourage you in that? And in the rest of Ephesians, as Paul sort of encourages them to keep Christ as Lord, he says, keep putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Fill yourself with the Spirit and be imitators of God, (laughs) imitators of the Lord imitators of Jesus. That's what mateship looks like. And later on, when he gets to the end of Ephesians, he talks about husbands and wives. I'll show you what husbands and wives mateship looks like. Submit to one another. Die for one another. How have you died to your wife this week? How have you died to your husband this week? Parents and kids. Kids, uh, how have you honored your parents? How have you served your parents as Christ served you? in your workplaces, in your schools, in your, uh, wherever you're employed, how are you serving the Lord as you serve them? This is what we need encouragement and strength to keep doing together. That we would view others as Jesus views them. 
that we would encourage one another, that we would build one another, that we would use our gifts and our fruit so that this body may more and more look like Jesus. That we would grow in mateship and friendship and unity together. That we would stand firm together against the culture, against our spiritual enemies and against the voices within. And so as we think about this idea of being imitators of God, to be like your Lord, think of what Jesus said in John 15. He says, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, greater love has no one than this, than that you would lay down your life for your friends, that you would lay down your life for your mates. And just in case you forgot, he gets to the end and he says, this is what I want you to do, I want you to love one another. And if you think about that Anzac mateship and you think about Jesus' ultimate expression of friendship and mateship, that he was willing to die for his mates. So as you think about partnership here, and we read that commitment to this church, and this church is not just this idea of one hope, it's the people you're sitting next to this morning. As we say that Jesus is Lord, we look to his example. He says to us, go and do likewise. Serve one another as I've served you. Let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you that you so loved this church that you gave your life for it. That you are Lord of this church. And that because we say Jesus is Lord, that gives us a new code, a new oneness, a new unity. And we thank you for our new identity. And Lord, we now ask you this morning to come upon us with your spirit, that you would help us to live this out empower us to be loving and gentle and patient and kind, bearing with one another as we serve one another as you have served us, loving one another as you have loved us. And Lord, we give you glory for who we are in you. In the name of Jesus, amen.